If you want to start a podcast, Spotify's got the platform that lets you make one smoothly, then distributes it everywhere, giving you the ability to even earn money all in one place, and it's called Spotify for Podcasters. They even let you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today, and best of all, it's totally free with zero catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, uploading, scheduling, and sharing on the road has been extremely easy. So if you've been thinking about starting one, give it a try. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. But as a result of all of these deep dives in all of these different industries, you start to connect a lot of dots. You know, it's happening inside of these industries and then in the media, you find that, that the opposite is being advertised. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Connected Through Spirit. Our guest speaker today is a hacker who has deep dived into several industries, including banking, medical, education, and government industries, as well as services to help recover exploited children and help with their rehabilitation. He's also dove into think tanks and national infrastructures and so much more. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's do a little quick backstory on how you got into this work in the first place. Yeah, so this started when I was pretty young, actually. I was always a very curious kid. I'm a twin, and we're both very curious. We wanted to know how the world worked when we were really young. I mean, we were in diapers, but we were taking everything apart. We were taking our cribs apart. We were escaping from rooms. My <laughs> parents had to get nannies so that one could watch this one and one could watch the other one. Um, you know, it was kind of a kind of a madhouse. In fact, we got to the point where we stopped playing with toys. We would start taking toys apart to learn how they worked. And as I grew up, that changed into, well, how does this phone work? How does this computer work? How does this machine in the library at my school work? And, and um, I started pressing myself, challenging myself, well, what can I do with this technology? How does this thing work? And once I, if, if I deep dive into and figure out how it works, what can I do with it? You know, what can I gain from it or what can I learn from it? And um, one, one story that my, my dad, this is one of my favorite stories of my dad to tell people that when I was in the seventh grade, I used the computer in the, um, in the library, in the school's library to erase a 25 cent fine that I had on a, on a high school level um, psychology book that I checked out. And I was so happy that I did it because I, uh, uh, I was standing by my own principles. I was saying to the, to the librarian, I was saying, she told me it was late and I said, but shouldn't the time allocated to read the book be be uh, uh, relative to the size of the book <laughs> and she said she said that's not how it works mark you just got to pay the fine it was 25 cent fine so i decided by principle that no i was gonna i was just gonna use the school's computer to erase my fine and i did it i ran home and i told my dad and my dad was like oh no uh what have you done you know like um once half of his face was pride the other half of his face was pure horror pure terror <laughs> like i don't know what to do with this um, but, uh, he, he kind of put me on the path to say, all right, let's use quote unquote, your powers for good is, is how he put it. Mm. And so, um, being raised by parents who, you know, uh, instilled good morals and values into me, thankfully I didn't go off onto a more darker path. Um, but I did use my, my skills to help corporations and my, my clients protect their, um, their their infrastructures help them protect their 
their computers. And I do that by actually simulating an attacker. So I break in, I actually find vulnerabilities and uh, demonstrate how those vulnerabilities are used by actively exploiting them. Mm. So then the corporations are aware and then I help them protect against those same vulnerabilities. Uh, um, that's part of the services that, that, that we provide. So you hack, uh, the, these companies hire hackers to fight hackers, basically. You're fighting mm. fire with fire kind of mm-hmm. a thing. But as a result of all of these deep dives in all of these different industries, you start to connect a lot of dots. You know, you see a lot of, you see a lot that's happening inside of these industries. And then in the media, you find that, that the opposite is being advertised, you know. So this has led me down this, these many rabbit holes, many conspiracies or many, many theories to test. You know, I actually, and my desire to learn this is where I, I started getting into, you know, what's actually happening with our country. How does our country work? Mm. And how does our country operate? And who's pulling the strings? Who's turning the dials? You know, all that kind of thing. Mm. So that led me to an interest in the topic that we're going to discuss today. Um, but it never stopped. I never, my curiosity has never been satiated and I'm still going. So yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so to give a little <clears throat> even backstory on why you know, we want to share this conversation in the first place is a few weeks back, uh, we were talking and I ended up sharing with Mark my story, my family story on on why I even left my country, why we even came into the States. Um, and he brought up a statement which then led to a four hour conversation, uh, which pretty much in short, we spoke about, you know, government corruption against its people, um, which was completely relevant to my story. So today, we really want to revisit this conversation to get a history lesson through the eyes of a hacker so we can understand our history, recognize it in our present, and then help better direct our future. So yeah, I hope you guys are ready to dive right in with us. (laughs) I think that the, if I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. when we were talking about your father's story, it ended up bringing up the... Uh, the idea of a constitutional republic versus a democracy. And that's what started the four-hour conversation of, you know, how does that apply to your father's story? How does that apply to us today? And and how did people manipulate that in the past? That story will be available for anybody who wants to listen into that. The episode will be in the description below. Yeah. It's a fascinating story, so definitely tune into that one. <laughs> but the thing is, is that what her, her story, her family story, the one that she has empirical knowledge of because she lived it, um, is happening to, still today. And it started a very long time ago. In fact, it started basically when this country was founded. Mm-hmm. And if we can start going, going ahead and just get into this, yeah. uh, get into the history, mm-hmm. we can start with the reason why the United States of America was created in the first place. And I think that's highly relevant to the topic. And the reason that this country was created was because the founding fathers had just fled from tyranny from their own government. They had just fled. They said, you know what? This, this, uh, this monarchy is trying to control what we say. This monarchy is trying to control who we can, who we can worship. This monarchy is trying to say that we can't defend ourselves and, and disarm us. And they're basically saying that they can turn around and make anything illegal if they want it to be. They could say, your business is illegal. You as a, as a civilian are illegal, or we don't like what you're saying. If you speak up against the church, that's heresy and that's punishable. If you speak up against the monarchy, that's, that's uh, treason and that's punishable. 
And so they, and you know, there was obviously a lot of problems. They fled from those and they came to this, um, they came to this new land, this fresh start, this mm. amazing fresh start. They're like, there's no king here. There's no uh, church that's going to control us like that. There's no, um, uh, there's no tyranny here. <laughs> and so what they're, what they, they're, they're saying, okay, we need to start this new form of government and we're going to remove all the things that we just experienced with, with our own lives. We're going to make it impossible for there to be a king on this land. We're going to make it uh, so that you can't infringe on your rights to defend yourself. We're going to make the very first thing that we're going to say is you have freedom of speech. You can say whatever it is. You are a free person. You shouldn't have to pay someone for the privilege of, of, of existing on the planet that you were born on. That was kind of the idea. Mm. And so these founding fathers, they took it very seriously that they felt that they were directed by God to create this constitutional republic, not a democracy, but a constitutional republic. And what that means is con a constitutional republic is the freedom, is the freedom of liberty, basically. It is the, the less involvement of the government. I can be free. Back then, you didn't, you owned your land. When you bought your land, you owned your land. Back then, you had, you had a lot of options on uh, how you healed yourself. You were growing your own food, and that was fine. Um, you owned your weapons, and you defended your land. And in fact, it's written into the Constitution that you have the right to defend your land. And that will not be infringed upon. Mm. And so eventually, you, you were free. At that, there was a time period, of course, there were conflicts and everything that, 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 that came up because most people were trying to come in and grab that power or grab that freedom. And that caused the conflicts. And they wanted to con they wanted control of that. In fact, Britain was was guilty of that as well. And we we read that in our history books. But the real history, I believe, starts with those that started to uh, exploit the freedoms and the liberties that we had. And the this is a story of greed. This is a story of absolute power, and it's one that is still affects us today. And the processes these that these people implanted in this nation are still strong and thriving and it's this leviathan that we feel can't be controlled it can be controlled and there are solutions and we will talk about that later but <laughs> right now i want to talk about john d rockefeller mm. and most people when they hear about john d rockefeller they think okay he's a tycoon he was a billionaire in fact if you if you um, account for the inflation and everything since then he was technically a trillionaire by his by his later years wow um and one of the richest people to ever exist you know uh on record anyway there's other people who have amassed more wealth than he has but they don't have they don't they're not actually obligated to disclose their wealth and that's a topic for a different discussion but <laughs> Uh, so John D. Rockefeller, he has, he had, this man has a really interesting history. His man, his father was a man that had zero integrity. In fact, he was a con man. His father was a con man. Most people don't know this. His father was a con man that would go from town to town selling snake oil. He would sell this elixir basically to people and say, this will cure, what are you, what are you sick of? And then, and they would say, oh, I'm sick of this and this. And this. Oh, just drink this twice a day and here, buy it, buy me out. <laughs> You know, buy my whole supply. You'll be fine. But he he leaves town. He gets all the money. He gets all everybody excited about this magical elixir that he's got to sell people. And then he leaves town. He collected a ton of money that way. Absentee father, by the way. He was never around. And when he was around, he was a horrible father. And we'll get into that in a second. But 
he basically was a con man. So long story short, you can look him up. William Rockefeller is his name. You can look him up and find out just, just how corrupted the man was. But he, he eventually got to the point where he was buying land and he was then leasing this land or selling this land under these uh, restrictive contracts where then he would make it impossible for the people who bought it to live up to the obligations and then they would... He would, he would take the land back from them. Oh, well, you can't meet the obligations in the contract. Well, you signed, you know, and then he would take the land back. So he got all the money for the, the beginning and then he took the land back and huge corrupted practice. And so later when his, when John D. Rockefeller was a little bit older, his son, he had actually mentioned that he would cheat his sons any opportunity he got to keep them sh sharp. Like he, he lied to his kids. He deceived his kids on purpose. So Obviously, wow. John D. Rockefeller is not living up. He's not being. He's not growing up in a in a uh, house of integrity, right? Mm. So, eventually, when he got to the point where he realized that he's he was pretty good with numbers, he he started his own business, and he started his own business, and eventually got into the oil business, and that kind of snowballed into what he does now, and or what he did during his career. The reputation has... Well, the thing is, like, what, yeah, what he does now is still alive. It's still it's alive, still, right? He died in 1937, but wow. his practices are still alive today. It carried on with his sons. And, and one of the things that I want to talk about that, that do affect us today is his role in the American Medical Association. Hmm. And so when you, when you look at the uh, 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 medical practices right now, it seems like, and it's starting to come to light, I think with the pandemic and you know all these things, you're starting to get this, this insight into the medical industry that you didn't have before, where it just seems like something's wrong, something's off. It, most people have this, this idea that something just feels off. Mm. But when you look at it, it almost seems that doctors these days are more representatives of pharmaceutical companies. You know, they say, they don't give you a list of, diet, exercise, healthy practices, healthy living, rid yourself of this. It's here, let me look up on my index table of which pharmaceutical to take for that ailment, mm -hmm. you know? And so it almost seems like that's what medical school is today. But if you look at now, you might say to me, some of the people who are listening right now might even be doctors and they might even say, well, that's not true. I, I joined, I'm a, I'm a doctor because I want to help people, mm -hmm. you know? And so well, let me just uh, just keep an open mind while we go back to the history of John D. Rockefeller and his uh, his association with the medical industry. Mm. So back when he was creating his oil, he had his empire. He was already plenty wealthy. He had more money than he could know what he knew what he knew what to do with. But he wanted to figure out how to use more of his his oil, more of this petroleum, more of the byproducts, because uh, every every. Um, every ounce of oil that he was processing, there was a percentage in a, in a, a decent, a, a good chunk of, of, of waste that was being produced. And he didn't want to waste that. He wanted to make money off of that. He didn't want to just throw it out. He wanted to make money on it. So he tried to figure out how to do that. And one way he found out that he could use his petroleum in pharmaceuticals to create medicine, to actually mm. create medicines. And so he started this campaign. He hired somebody to analyze the current state of the medical industry. And the current state back then, it was mostly people using natural processes to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. to, uh, and these are processes that had been in place for a really long time. You know, these, were, these are what you hear in the, 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 the Western medicine or these ancient textbooks you know, that have these, take this herb for this ailment, take this herb, take this, uh, make this 
poultice, make this, uh, you know, <laughs> elixir, uh, uh, make this, this oil, you know, <laughs> they had all these things and they were working, mm-hmm. they were working. They had a track record of, of, of a, a longer period of testing on human subjects that were willing because it worked in their family. It worked in their, it was just, it was a system that worked, mm. but I can't, if I can't, I can't pack up, package up, uh, the mint family or oregano's or things like that and really make a profit right Right. and plus these are things that i can grow in my own backyard Mm -hmm. so how do you profit from that well you change the process you change the industry back then most doctors were actually helping you cure naturally they were teaching you how to get out of your own way so your immune system could help you heal or boost your immune system with these different uh you know, this herb that you could grow in your backyard for pennies, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And they worked again. So, but he started this campaign where he hired this person to go out and analyze the current state of the medical industry. And this person created a report where he, he says, okay, the, the current medical industry, everyone's teaching uh, natural ways of healing yourself. Well, we propose something different. And we propose that they use and they didn't say it, but in the, clo- in the fine print was oil-based medicines to, uh, to heal yourself. And so that report made it all the way to Congress. And Congress was convinced by the report to change the way that, that America did uh, medicine. Wow. The, way, the way that they practiced medicine. Can I ask you a question really quick? Um, you know, anybody who might be listening might be asking this as well. Is like, how was someone like him able to kind of infiltrate that system right uh and and change something that has been used for so long that's worked for so long right like how does one person really come in and 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 change it right is was it because of his money was it because of his connections his impact like what what would you say to that so there's a couple of answers to that the first answer to that was proper funding he definitely had the funding the second was that he was highly motivated. He was mm-hmm. highly motivated to change this. He got his way. If you look at his track record and his business record, he got everything he ever wanted, ever, always. He always ended up with what he wanted. It might have taken him years to get to that point, mm-hmm. but he had persistence. And persistence is, is an enemy in most cases. Uh, it's, it's something that was like the enemy never sleeps. That's, that's mm. kind of the way, I see it, the way I see it. And if he didn't get his way first, he would try something new and he would learn something from that. And then that didn't work, he would do something else. Finally, it came to the point where he realized that with a finally uh, a polished report that was more comprehensive than the government had ever done, that any medical establishment had ever, had ever done, this he, he funded this person to go off and research mm. all of the different... He went to doctor's offices, he went to uh, educational facilities that were teaching doctors, he went everywhere. He went across the country and it was this comprehensive report and it was convincing. Mm. It was convincing because when Congress was looking at it, they're like, oh, there's a problem here. Oh, there's a problem here. Hey, what do we do? We make laws. Let's make a law to, to this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, wow. We don't know how to keep him honest because nobody on our staff, no, none of us are doctors, but we, we trust that this guy knows what he's talking about. Plus, uh, uh, this guy is also powerful. You know, he's, he's in a position of power. And if he's that passionate about it, well, then, you know, he's going to fund my campaign next time. Mm. You know, so that's another problem is that most of the time, the, and we're going to get into that here mm-hmm. in, a, in a little bit, where one of the biggest problems with the American government is that as a private citizen or a corporation, I can fund politicians. 
I can fund campaigns. I can put some money in your pocket to say, hey, can you just make that bill go away? Mm. Can you just get people to vote the other way? Can mm-hmm. you convince them? Whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Corruption, extortion, you know, whatever, whatever atrocity you need to, to, uh, to commit, just make it happen, you know, and it'll pad your, pad, line your pockets or line the pockets of your families. So yeah, it was persuasion, it was persistence, and it was funding. So mm-hmm. nothing like that had ever been done before, mm. a comprehensive report. Mm. But this was really the first lobbying. It was a, the first time, really, uh, on this scale anyway, that Congress had been lobbied by an industry like this. So it was kind of new to them too. They're like, oh, what's this? This is a massive document mm. of, of how the medical industry works. Well, it seems like it's flawed. This person says he's an expert and he says it's flawed. Well, let's change it. Yeah, you like and, trust that because yeah. you have the information. Someone went and did the research and you naturally you trust yeah. that. You lean to trust that. So they had the influence. They made it happen. And now what the, the government is saying is, hey, medical industry, we've got a problem and we need to fix it. We're going to step in and we're going we're gonna to try to fix this thing. So we're going to pass some laws. We're going to do some, we're going to make some changes. So with that change in Congress, John D. Rockefeller and his crew that he had put together to make this change went around to all of the different medical schools, all of the different uh, medical establishments, and they started giving them grants. They said, we're going to give you research grants. We're going to give you this large chunk of money. But if you accept this money, you have to accept our terms. And here are our terms. Our terms are that someone from our industry or someone from our, uh, whatever you want to call it, is on their board. Like they're calling the shots. We're basically in a position to call the shots. And what are the shots that they want called? Well, you got to use petroleum-based medicines. Mm. That started, like John D. Rockefeller is basically the father of, of current big pharma. Mm. Because it is now, and, and one of the, the conditions was you had to move from natural healing to, I think it was called allopathic medicine or something like that, where it's, and it's specifically spelled out as medicines to spot treat, but not to cure. Wow. Like it made it basically impossible to actually cure anyone with this medicine. It's creating clients, it's creating customers. Mm. It's creating, if you're sick, you come in, we play whack-a-mole with your symptoms, (laughs) and then you go home, you feel a little bit better after you take our petroleum-based medicines, and then you come back, your symptoms come back, all right, let's play whack-a-mole again, you take the medicines, it's a constant cycle and you're stuck in that cycle. And normally, what you find, when's the last time you've heard a, heard a commercial for a pharmaceutical on the, you know, on the TV or whatever mm-hmm. that didn't have 15 minutes of all the side effects, <laughs> right? And so that's, that's never changed. You know, that's still, back then it was the same thing. You would take these medicines and then you would get a list of other problems. Mm. And then those other problems, you would go into the doctor and the doctor would look up and say, okay, you're, you've got this problem, well, you take this medicine and, you know, call me in two weeks. Now you're locked into the system where it's a, it's a profitable business because you're locked into the system where you're not actually being healed. Mm. Now, also, when you look into, and this is a tangent that I, that I really encourage your listeners to go off on to because we don't have time to go into it, but I really encourage them to look into current pharmaceuticals and the main ingredients in the most effective ones. And when you look into the main ingredients of the most effective pharmaceuticals, you will find that they are naturally occurring substances or compounds that are found in naturally occurring substances that you can be growing in your own backyard. Mm. You can have your own medicine cabinet in your own backyard by growing these herbs that these pharmaceuticals are based out of. Look at the patents on these on these medicines. 
they're they say they'll call you a, a quack for for uh, uh, making a, a mint tea or a peppermint tea or or taking oregano oil or something like that. They'll call you a, a nut job for doing that. But then when you go look at the these medicines, that's what they're based on the compounds mm. that are found in these things. I can be drinking my medicine. In fact, when you take it from nature, you're taking it in a way that is natural and your body knows how to deal with it and there's no side effects there's not a 15 minute list of all the side effects including death in some of them you know when you when you take from nature nature is 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 bountiful and it wants to help you and wants to heal you but people like john d rockefeller took that away from us Mm. so that is one way that he has absolutely destroyed our health he has taken away our freedom to choose in a lot of ways and the medical industry has way too much power Mm. but you know he also made it so that you couldn't be a doctor if you didn't... Oh, I, I'm getting ahead of myself because he also created the, uh, the American Medical Association. He created the association of how you even become a doctor. Mm. And how do you become a doctor back then? He started it. You've got to get a license from him. You have to get a license from John D. Rockefeller to be a doctor. And what you couldn't do if you were currently a doctor that wasn't licensed from him, if you didn't switch over to allopathic where you were just using his medicines... They, they destroyed your career. They kicked you out of it. You couldn't be a doctor. You couldn't practice medicine anymore because you didn't have a piece of paper from John D. Rockefeller. Wow. So, and today what we see in, in if, you're, if you speak out about something, if you question a science, if you question a practice, if you question a medicine, if you question a procedure, you get your license taken away, just like it was in the past. Right. You know, this is a reoccurring issue uh, that never died. It's a practice that never died. So those that were trying to help you get out of your own way and increase the, your immune system, they were ridiculed and they were canceled, basically. You were canceled back then. Mm. Even back in the you know, 1800s, early 1900s, you were, you were canceled for, for wanting to heal yourself naturally. You know, this is just one point that Rockefeller impacted. The list is so long. Yeah. Education, you just brought up education. That's another one where he has dipped his, his, his tentacles into where... <laughs> originally when he was running his business and this this by the way this does not just apply to John D Rockefeller but some of these other titans back in the day Andrew Carnegie JP Morgan you know they they all had very corrupt business practices back then and they were they were they were profiting they were the wealthiest people on the planet at the time well some of the wealthiest on the on the planet definitely in the nation mm-hmm. that were profiting from uh the basically almost free labor from the people who were working for them. These people could not even feed themselves. The wages that they were receiving were so low that they could never go off into another industry because this guy had a monopoly. The The jobs that they were doing were basically controlled by him. So he, he was in a position where he could basically force them into labor and uh, uh, doing whatever it is that he wanted them to do for nothing, for nothing. And when they started, there was a huge controversy one time when the people just decided they stood up at one of his mines, they're like, we can't do, we can't work under these conditions. People were dying on the job because the conditions were so horrible. Mm-hmm. And he did nothing to increase the, the, the cost the, or the, uh, the quality of life, the quality of the working conditions. OSHA wasn't a thing back then. It was, you, if you chose to come work for me, so you chose these conditions, but they really didn't have much choice. Mm. So when they started protesting, they would stand outside the mines. He had... Uh, snipers go and actually pick people off wow. like he was killing people and, and even uh, families that were running away he this guy I mean this is this is not a conspiracy theory this is actually documented history that this man was so corrupt that he's like if you don't like the conditions 
I don't care if you die and if you protest, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot you down. Mm. And they were so f- fearful. And this got the attention of some politicians, especially when that happened. People were starting to pay attention like, whoa, wait a second, you can't do that. Yeah, that, you, that was gonna be my question. Yeah, it, it started to get a, a lot of, it started going into the media, mm-hmm. it started reaching the politicians the politicians, they didn't have much that they could do, except for, obviously, the killing people was, was a clear violation but uh, and mistreating people. But there were no laws, really, to, to protect people at work. And uh, so when the people started revolting, they started voicing their opinions. They're like, this man is an evil man. This man is a horrible person. This man is killing us off. This man is working us to death. And it reached the newspapers. It reached the politicians. The newspapers were, were printing highly unfavorable things about these giants, Johnny Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, all these people who were exploiting people. And so uh, they didn't like the fact that all of this bad press was being pushed into the news, into the newspapers at the time. Mm. So what did they do? They bought the newspapers. <laughs> they bought, they the had media. enough. Yeah, they infiltrated the media. They bought the newspapers. They controlled the newspapers to the point where they said, okay, I own you now. You work for me. I am your boss. You can't post anything that's unfavorable about me, but you can post anything that's unfavorable about the people that, I, that I'm my competitors, basically. And if there's anything that uh, is about the conditions of my work, you can't post it. And if you do, you f- get fired, and I'll put somebody in the place that will, uh, will go along with the program. You know, mm. follow the agenda, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the first infiltration into the media because they realized the media was a nuisance to them, but they had enough money to buy out the nuisance and modify that nuisance to make the problem go away. Their business practices didn't change. Their ethics didn't kick in. Their morals didn't kick in. They were still highly corrupted people just finding a way to dust the problem under the rug, mm. you know? And that was by buying the newspapers. So then they also realized, wait a second, I have an entire generation of people that are incredibly upset working for me. How do I change the mindset of an entire generation? You're not gonna change the generation that's already grown and has their own opinions. Right. But how, so then they started to brainstorm. Well, how do I change the opinion of the next generation? If I can change the opinion and the, uh, the ideas inside the head of the next generation, then my legacy can continue without all the problems of these pesky morals and ethics getting in the way. But how do you do that? Mm. They figured out the solution, and that was education, controlling Mm. education. They realized by controlling the media, they can control the narrative, but by controlling the education, they can control the minds of the next generation that comes up. So the very first school, who who, who started the very first school? Well, it was was uh, these three that were in cahoots together that uh, started a... (laughs) An, or, or uh, an educational program to say it's okay to work for a titan it's okay to work and just nine to five do your job and 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 sit down shut up and do your work mm-hmm. you know don't question don't protest those that was basically the curriculum in a hidden way subtle way you know clever way deceptive right. way mm-hmm. of teaching everybody to just be okay and what do we do now we do the same thing with our educational system Our educational system is not teaching you how to grow your own food, how to exercise better, how to take care of your health, how to how to balance your checkbook, how to you know be. It's teaching you how to be a product of the system, and it's teaching you go get in debt to get this piece of paper degree that will keep you locked into this cycle. 
you know mm. it's it's the same education system that they created of creating a working class not not those it's not teaching you how to go off and be a titan how to be a ceo and how to be a a business owner and an, an entrepreneur is teaching you how to be working class and then you're also so heavy in debt by the time you get out of school that you're going to be a slave to the system the entire time because you're never gonna it's so rare for people to escape that loop they're yeah. stuck in that loop and that loop was created by these guys these same guys that are, that are the culprit of all these other things the, that loop was created by them so we've talked about pharmaceuticals we've talked about media, uh, media and we've talked about education banking oh man banking yeah it just <laughs> it just keeps going it just keeps going so banking <laughs> At first, these guys, by the time these guys had all the money they could possibly dream of, I mean, these guys were billionaires back then. Think about it. Think about back in the early 1900s. They had access to anything that they could. They actually couldn't buy all. They couldn't. There was nothing that they couldn't. That was out of reach, basically. With that amount of wealth and in that state of the world, mm -hmm. there was nothing that was out of reach of these people. Mm. But for some reason, it just wasn't enough. Humility was not... Uh, a word in his in any of their vocabulary mm. you know uh, gratitude was definitely not he in fact they'll all say god gave me my wealth god gave me my power mm. and and they'll, they'll do all this corruption they'll they'll go off and like you know literally put businesses out of uh people on the street or people in their grave and um anyway that's a that's a tangent i don't want to get into that <laughs> but uh so yeah, the banking system, this, is a, this becomes a problem. And this is something that affects every single person today and not just in the United States. That it, it, it got to the point where they wanted to... So John D. Rockefeller, basically, he was in finance. Like that, and J.P. Morgan was in finance. That's, that's, uh, that's where they started anyway. Uh, that's how John D. Rockefeller didn't start in the oil industry. He started crunching numbers. He started figuring out how to he loved interest interest was the very first his very first introduction into wait a minute i can lend you fifty dollars and i get three dollars and fifty cents back a year later mm. in interest he played with that his whole life and so he realized at a very early age and that's fact that's what got him into business in the first place was the fact that i didn't have to work for interest i didn't have to work for gain interest was did all the work for me so um that was kind of at the root of a lot of his business practices and the reason why his businesses grew because he was always chasing the interest. So talking about banking, they all got together and they started this idea of creating a banking system that basically they could control. Mm -hmm. And when, you are a, when you're a bank, there's a, lot of, there, there's a lot of specifics that you get to control. And especially if it's like a nation's bank, a federal bank. And so they actually set out to create a bank these three, I was, I think it was uh, um, J.P. Morgan, John D. Rockefeller, and Andrew Carnegie, and a, and a bunch of other characters by that time, who were involved. But they were the they were the the majority. Mm -hmm. They created this. I can't remember what the name of it was, but there was like some society name of a society that they came up with, where they would meet at this place called I think it was Jekyll Island or something, and they would meet together and they would talk about how they can get more control, how they can. And one of the main topics at these meetings was a banking system. So uh, back then, the banking system it was you know it was kind of it was rudimentary, but it was it was working for people. You know they were it was fine, but they needed significant change. 
So they wanted to create a federal reserve. They wanted to create a federal bank. They wanted to create the bank that the nation would use because that would be an amazing amount of control for these couple of characters to, 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 to wield. So there were a couple of people that were opposed to a federal bank being owned by, a pri- by private industry, by private people, by, by, by not the government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these three people, and it, this, is, this is a strange thing, you know, there's no way for me to prove this, but those three people that were opposed to, and that were standing in the way of this federal bank being created, uh, all three of them died on the Titanic. What? Yeah. They all died on the Titanic. J.P. Morgan had a, a, a large role in the creation of the... Go look it up. I, I challenge everybody to go look up for yourselves the role of J.P. Morgan and the Titanic. And the fact that these three people that were opposed to J.P. Morgan, who was financing the Titanic, and he was supposed to be on... J.P. Morgan was supposed to be on the Titanic, but at the very last minute... Because, you know, it was, it was high... Everybody... Who everyone the the who's who was on the Titanic yeah. right? It was a big deal. Yeah. J P Morgan. They're like J P Morgan's gonna be there. Oh, I'm gonna go too. Well, these three that were standing in the way of this bank establishment mm-hmm. were on the Titanic and it went down. How convenient! And there's another. If you go down that rabbit hole, you're gonna find that J P Morgan he had a boat and there was a payout. There's supposed to be a payout. He didn't get it, but he got it with the Titanic and everything. So he's like he found a way to get his payout, but also take out three people. At the same time, get his payout for another boat and uh, take out three people that were opposed to his new scheme. Wow, that's a total new one. Thank yeah. you for giving me that rabbit hole yeah, to go yeah, into. Yeah. It, you're going to be so frustrated by the time you get halfway through that rabbit hole <laughs> that you're going to realize, okay, there is corruption. And the fact, nothing happened. Like it was. A, if you don't know already, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so, yeah, jump down that rabbit hole and a lot of these things will come to light. But... <clears throat> But lo and behold, with those three people out of the way, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Bank was created. Wow. Okay, so uh, now when you look, look into the recession, when you look into the fact, I mean, the, it, at, 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 there was a point where it was illegal to own gold. At, at one point, it was your dollar. When I went to a bank, mm-hmm. I took a dollar out of the bank, mm-hmm. but it was backed by, a, by an actual amount of gold the same amount of gold right it was a it was a note that said this is my gold you know the bank is holding my gold for me but this note represents my physical asset right which is a lot more stable because it's backed by something tangible it's backed by something i can hold Mm -hmm. you know it's backed by an actual asset something that i can sell right Mm. now i'm trading if i give that dollar to somebody else i'm trading my section of my fraction of gold for a service, for a good, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but if you go down that rabbit hole, you're going to find that these people orchestrated, it was, you know, 1929, I believe, uh, that there were financial crashes, but they needed bank reform. You know, and you, you, you think, you look, at your, you look at current day, and you say, who, who, is, who is profiting from, benefiting from a war, a crisis, a depression, the people who have the solutions. They're like, hey, you know what? And, and right now, there's, there's so many of this. So this is happening so much right now where there's organizations who are saying, in the next two years, there's going to be this global pandemic where you know, everyone's going to get sick. Uh, but we have the solution. 
and we're gonna sell it to you. We might even give it to you for free. You know, it's the same people who are who are who are uh, advertising and marketing the fear are the same people who are giving you the solution. Mm -hmm. Back then, back in history, it was the same people who were orchestrating and engineering these depressions, the the bank collapses. These these people who were sitting on piles and piles of cash were manipulating the markets to the point where they wanted crashes to happen. In fact, in the same thing, in a second, we're probably going to move on to wars and things like that. Like, you know, but right now we're talking about banking, but it's all connected. The wars are connected to the banking and and profits. And people make so much money during war. Hmm. And who is it that that is going to profit from? If I'm controlling a bank mm -hmm. who gives you a loan during a war, who also is supplying you with the ammunition and the transportation, I am funding this war. But when you get when you get into and when you when you get into it and you see what these people were doing, they were playing both sides, but they were also establishing a bank in the enemy state. You know, like they were saying, "This is your enemy," and then they would go to the en that enemy and they would say, "They're your enemy," and they would buy up the, the the newspapers, they'd buy up the media, they would throw out all the propaganda, they would say, "This nation said this about you. Are you going to let that happen? Let's go to war." You know. They would fund, they would excite these nations to rile them up to, uh, against each other. Mm -hmm. And then say, oh, hey, by the way, do you need ammunition? Do you need guns? Do you need <laughs> steel? Do you need, you, need, you need a loan? You need a loan? Those, war is expensive. Do you need a loan? Here, come to my loan. I'm going to give you a loan. They were funding both sides of the war. Wow. So they made a massive amount of money during this, this operation, hmm. playing both sides against each other. And today... In our current day, this is not. This is a practice that was done, you know, back then. Today, in our current day, we have um, organizations that, who, by the way, do not deny that they have orchestrated chaos and turmoil and bad press to get nations to go to war with each other. Mm. And it, it, they admitted it once it came out. It's like, yeah, 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 we did that, but it was a long time ago, and we're not going to do it again. Mm. We've done it every decade up to that, but we're gonna we're not gonna do it this time. You know, <laughs> we've done it since the existence of of our organization, but we're not gonna do it this time. We'll we're, we've got your back. That that never happens. They're you know they're just they're saving face. So <laughs> yeah, banking banking is one of those things too. Is is that uh, currently right now it is being manipulated? The banking, our financial stability is being manipulated by uh, by a few bad actors. And it's always for reform. If you look at it, it's always to change things. It's always for some power grab. And typically, in some form, I have to give up my liberties. For my safety and for my comfort, I have to give up a liberty. They say, this, this, oh, this big thing happened, this plague, this financial collapse. You know, The government wants to come in and help you. Mm -hmm. But in return, we're going to need something from you. And usually it's, okay, we got to give up your guns because wars are bad and we just went through this war, so give us your guns. You know, or you got to stop saying these one things. You got to stop saying it. We got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta slow down on, on, on the free speech, you know, or whatever it is. You know, they want something in return. The government keeps wanting to take more and more and more from you. And that's really frustrating for us because we're just over here trying to live our life. Anyway, so yeah, that is the banking rabbit hole. We could have an entire episode just on that. The other thing that I want to talk about is politics. Mm -hmm. There came a point where John D. Rockefeller was so fed up with the government because eventually his corruption caught up to him. That's what spurred his, 
his uh, motivation to get into the media, get into the educational system and those types of things to control those narratives, right? But he couldn't do anything about politicians, these pesky politicians who kept saying what he was doing was immoral, what he was doing was wrong, what he was doing, because he couldn't, he couldn't uh, fix that in the media. He couldn't fix public record when he went to court. Eventually, at, at first he was just exploiting, exploiting the fact that there was no regulation in place. Right? So you could get away with these things because there was no regulation. There was no law keeping him from doing these things. At the beginning, he created this monopoly. In fact, if you look into the rabbit hole of how he created his monopoly, Standard Oil, or his oil companies that eventually became Standard Oil, mm-hmm. um, uh, he ended up devising this, this scheme with the railroad companies where he got the best rates for shipping oil. So. I, he owned an oil refinery and his competitor owned a re, oil refinery. Same oil, same quality, same product, same shipping methods. Everything was the same, but they couldn't figure out why is he so profitable? Why is he just exploding? Why is his company, why is his uh, evaluation of his company so much higher than ours? He's doing the same work. Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure it out. So they launched an investigation and they actually found that he had worked out a system with the railroad companies this whole system with rebates where the oil company or the, uh, the the railroad company was benefiting from his shipments and his shipments only. And so when they find out about that, they went to the railroad company and they said, hey, that's not fair. Why, why are you giving our competitor a better rate? You know, they demanded that they get the same rate. And so John D. Rockefeller got to the point where uh, he would... He, he created this shell company, this fake organization, and he rounded up a bunch of his competitors and they, they created this, this giant. It was, a, it, was a, it was an invisible giant, but it was this company that nobody had, it had some weird, unrelated name, but it was really controlled by a few heavy hitters in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, our goal is to get all of our smaller competitors out of the way so that we can have more profits. It was illegal, it was immoral, it was corrupt, basically driving all those other businesses they either saying we will buy you out and you will have standard oil stock or we drive you out of business because we're going to lower our prices and and you're not no one's going to be able you're not going to be able to compete with us they would specifically lower their prices where they were losing money mm-hmm. just to just to ruin other businesses mm-hmm. and then they're like well okay my choices are either be bought out probably by at a horrible price for stock in your company or nothing. And most of them, tw- actually it was 26, 20 out of the 26 bended and caved to that, to that uh, practice. Wow. So eventually um, the rest of them started to complain. The rest of them were like, no, this is my business and you're not gonna do this to me. This is evil, this is moral, immoral, this is corrupt. I'm not gonna bend. And so they went to their local politicians and they're like, what can we do about this? And eventually there was this, this, this uh, c- committee that was created that said, okay, you can't be a monopoly. Monopolies are bad. In fact, monopolies are horrible for a free society, free market, you know, because it, it, there's no competition anymore. If you have multiple competing companies, the prices are better. I might offer, in order to, to stand out, I might offer some more features, some more, some more incentives to come over to me. And that creates this healthy competition. As in a consumer, it's great for me because I have a choice. I can say, I don't like your terms. I'm going to go to your competitor. Give me better terms. 
But with a monopoly, you don't get to choose. They can set their prices as high as they want and say, take it or leave it. You don't mm -hmm. have any choices. So it's bad for the economy. It's bad for the people. It's only good for those that are in control, but it doesn't last that long because eventually people are like, we need to try something new. We need a whole new industry because we can't do anything in this industry. So anyway, mm -hmm. getting back to the point, uh, those, the rest of them started to complain to these politicians and these politicians started to, to do an investigation. And so that started this whole cycle of these really annoying and John D. Rockefellers like this is, you know, competition is a sin. It was, it was my right and my privilege uh, to force these people out. And he, he, he didn't feel sorry at all for what he did. And if he was really frustrated, every time he had to go to court, he was just grumpy, he was annoyed, he was like, this is stupid, I'm busy, I'm too important for this, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. And this is all on record, you know, it's, it's a public record. And in fact, they have illustrations of like the judge who is just like reprimanding John D. Rockefeller and Rockefeller's just sitting there like, this is stupid. <laughs> so um, uh, he's like, I've got better things to do. So what did he do about that? Just like he got his, his, his tentacles into media, he got his tentacles into education, he got his tentacles into edu uh, health, mm -hmm. he got his tentacles into banking, he's, he's now getting to the point where he's realizing there's a necessity for him to get his tentacles into politics. And so same old practices, same old, same old uh, routine where he would use his power and his influence and his prestige and his promises and his deep pockets to buy out some politicians to get them on his side because now there's now there's antitrust laws that are starting to come up to say monopolies are illegal now the government is actually stepping in and saying we've drawn a line on what it means to be a monopoly and how it influences free markets and so that was really annoying because that forced John D. Rockefeller's oil business to be broken up into smaller businesses. Mm -hmm. But in the end, he came out on top anyway because he got to keep all the businesses that he ran out of business. And he was actually worth more in, at the, uh, by the end of that because of you know, some, uh, some semantics. But he realized that government was in his way now. So he had to do something about it. The government is annoying him into action. And the action was that he started buying out politicians. So he started by he started with senators. He would fund them. He said, "Okay, I'm going to give you. I'm going to fund your campaign. Mm. I'm going to fund your whole. I'm going to pad your pockets." Back then, it, I don't think it was even uh, bribery. I mean, did they even have a definition of it? You know, it's like I'll I'll incentivize you to to have my back. Yeah. And so and that worked. That was really that worked really well for him, because. These, he, he started funding these, uh, these political uh, characters that would go along with whatever it is that he needed at the time. Mm. But that wasn't enough because eventually he started, his corruption was so widespread that um, Theodore Roosevelt, who was kind of, he, he, he was very outspoken at the time when he was running for president, he was very outspoken about John D. Rockefeller, the, these titans, these monopolies, these, he, he found them to be evil and corrupt. And so he, his campaign, while he was campaigning for president, was, I'm going to do something about this. I'm gonna, I'm, I am their enemy, and they know it. So John D. all these guys, they put together this, um, back then, being the vice president, back then was uh, being the president 
was powerful, but being the vice president was kind of nothing. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it didn't really mean much. It's like you just kind of went off into a corner and nobody ever heard from you. You didn't really have much power. So what happened was they orchestrated for uh, Theodore Roosevelt to become the vice president. And it worked. It actually worked. So they're like, okay, good. With him as the vice president, they didn't have to worry about him coming after them. Mm-hmm. And so for a while, they were like, okay, we won. For at least for a little while, at least for this term, mm-hmm. we won where he's not going to be on our back. But then Theodore Roosevelt is the vice president. The president dies. Theodore Roosevelt becomes the president. Mm. Their plan backfired on him. Mm-hmm. And so now they're like, oh no, what do we do? What do we do? We, get, we have, we're, we're, uh, we're stuck. You know, our worst nightmare has come true where the most powerful person in the government uh, is our enemy. They didn't have anybody that could do much, you know, at the time. <coughs> so they had to dig deeper. They had to go a lot deeper. And at this time, there's, there, there's these, uh, there was a society that was growing that was trying to get the United States to be broken up into, no, actually, I think I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but eventually there was this uh, attempt at what was called the League of Nations, Mm-hmm. where it was a it was a it was kind of this or this this uh, government this style of government that multiple countries were going to be a part of and a uni- they were trying to get united states to be a part of it i think this was this was well this was well after theodore roosevelt's time but this is how he goes deeper because he didn't quite win when he was trying to get these presidents out of the way so his legacy was passed on to his kids was passed on to his business partners, was basically trying to say, America is getting in my way. America is getting in the way of me becoming a global titan and not just a local titan. Mm. These guys wanted global power. Mm -hmm. And so they started scheming on how to either run America and control America, and if that didn't work, create wars to weaken America, And, and create policies that allowed them to participate in other countries and, and, and eventually globalize, you know, get, get, American was in their way, basically. And this is, I think that if I were to come up with a topic of why America is in the state that it is in, in right now, mm-hmm. like why do we have the problems that we have? Yeah. It's because America is in the way of a global agenda. So there is this, and when, when, when someone says globalists or global agenda or one world order, that type of thing, everyone has kind of this bad taste in their mouth. They're like, eh, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I see it. But I'm telling you, if you look, you will find it. And these are going back to my youth, going back to my present, pattern recognition, it is, it is out there. It is in your face that there is an attempt to create a, a single unit of government Mm -hmm. and that benefits the people that are controlling that government and if you if you look into the attempts in the past this is not a new thing a one world order is not a new thing this is a documented history that there have been several attempts Mm -hmm. at getting america to to combine with other nations or in these treaties and these organizations and these like a a a united nations or a european union style of government where there's a few people at the head of multiple nations. 
In fact, those were attempts at globalization. Both of those organizations were attempts at globalization. But no, not everybody wanted to sign up. Not right. everybody was saying, no, we kind of like our sovereignty. We kind of like our freedoms. We kind of like being our own thing. Mm-hmm. But then they come to you and say, well, you're a small nation. What if a bigger nation comes and, and, and wants to go to war with you? Who are your allies? Who are, who's going to have your back? Mm. Well, if you come join us, we'll protect you during that war. But you've got you've to sign up with our conditions. Mm. You've got to play along with You've got to use our currency. You've got you to, you know, all these laws have to be in place. You have to, you, you have to relieve your powers. You have to extinguish your capabilities and forfeit them to us, you know? So there's a lot of there's there's a lot that goes into that, but it really it weakens America and America was was this uh, this annoyance to these people who wanted a global economy and a global government because everyone loved their freedoms.